the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Our common faith should result in a common practice. So he says we must avoid partiality, favoritism, prejudice. Why is this so important? Everybody that's been born is born in the image of God. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. not until last, when teams were being chosen on the playground. Or, or maybe it's that moment when you realize you were not invited to that event that it seemed like everyone else was invited to. Or, or perhaps it was less subtle. Maybe you've had someone look you in the eye and simply say, I don't like you. Perhaps someone has said, if, if you're here, then I don't want to be here. I remember as a child growing up in church, and I remember the time that an African-American family came to our small southern town, predominantly white church. And while they were welcomed in, I distinctly remember watching some people get up and walk out, as if to say, if, if they're going to be here, then I'm not going to be here. I have heard the story of friends who were born in another country, but are Americans who visited a church right here in Tampa Bay and were told when they went to the front door, you probably would be comfortable, more comfortable, somewhere else. And then, of course, there's the story of Mahatma Gandhi. You've heard of this great historic figure, a Hindu. Studying Hinduism was intrigued by Christianity, and this intrigue led him to visit a Christian church. But as he went to enter the church, he was stopped by the usher, and he was told that this church was for Indians of a certain caste, a class system, and it was particularly for white Indians. It was after that that Gandhi walked away from any interest in Christianity, and later he would say this, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike 
your Christ. And this kind of sentiment has been around through the ages, hasn't it? He encountered the problem of prejudice, a problem that apparently has plagued the church from the beginning, a problem that James, the half-brother of Jesus, will address in James chapter 2. James addresses it head on. Thus, the theme for this series of teaching messages, let's get real. There comes a point in time where you just have to be honest, where you have to strip aside those things that may have not been said and really dig deep and talk about the root of the problems we face. That's what James does in the rest of this letter. They're words that are needed for our time. We live in a day when many of our African-American brothers and sisters wonder if their black lives matter. At the same time, many of my more pale, perhaps white-skinned brothers and sisters, wonder if they are somehow supposed to feel guilty because of the color with which they were born. It's a time of confusion, a time of division. Our discourse has become uncivil. Our speech and our actions have become hateful, destructive, partisan, and unhelpful. If ever there was a time for Christ followers to stand out and to stand up and to be different, this is that time. There are a lot of resources you can turn to. This small stack is just some books that I've purchased in the last few weeks because I want to be educated. I want to understand that which I don't understand. But I need you to understand that the real source, the real solution to the problems of this world are not going to be found in the words of man. The real solution, the partiality, the prejudice is the objective standard and the truth of God's word. So I'm going to read from James chapter 2. We'll read 13 verses together. Then I want to pray with you and ask God to use this time so that all of us, regardless of how we walked into this place, walk away changed, challenged, committed to make a difference for his glory. James is a half-brother of Jesus. He's writing to the church scattered from Jerusalem in difficult days. Inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, this is what he says. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil faults? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he's promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. 
But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, do you have, you have become a transgressor of the law. So, speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So James begins this portion of his letter with a principle that should guide everything we do. What's the principle? It's very simple. Everyone you see is created in the image of God. Everyone. Say everyone. Everyone you see is created in the image of God. Everyone's created in the image of God, and when you see them, you should look for his glory. We call that the Imago Dei. They have the stamp of God on them. You have to decide, once you dive into Scripture, are you going to believe what it teaches? If you believe what it teaches, you start from a premise that every person ever born, since our great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, were born stamped with that image of God. And that's why James says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. James is about to dive into a touchy subject. But before he does that, he establishes the ground rules. He starts by saying, brothers. He lets us know who he's talking to. This is to us the church. It's just like every time we meet together. Our message comes from scripture, so it's designed for those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, hopefully presented in such a way that those who've not yet begun that relationship with Christ still can receive it, perhaps under the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God, be drawn to God. So James is writing to brothers and sisters in the faith. That's what he says. They have a faith, a faith that should change what they do, a faith that has changed who they are, a faith that should cause everything about them to be different from those who do not have that faith. Why? Because of the faith that that person is placed in. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Three words, each with meaning. Lord reminding that he is the master. Those who are brothers and sisters in Christ only have one master. It's a common master. Why? Because he's the Savior. We only have one Savior. There's only one hope, regardless of what country or continent you were born on, regardless of what skin color you have, regardless of your accent, regardless of anything that distinguishes you from another person. There is only one way to heaven, and that's through hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's one Savior. And he's the Christ. He is the one anointed by God. And so when we come together, we should look at one another, not with partiality, he says. But we should look for the glory of God in one another. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. 
It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. understood when she said, by blood, I'm Albanian, by citizenship, an Indian, by faith, I'm a Catholic nun. As to my calling, I belong to the world. As to my heart, I belong entirely to the heart of Jesus, the Lord of glory. It's all about him. Say that today. Say it's all about him. If you start from that premise, if you really believe that everything in my life is all about him, then everything else I do Everything else I say is reflective of that truth. It's the ground rules. Our common faith should result in a common practice. So he says we must avoid partiality, favoritism, prejudice, racism, anything that causes us to look at another person in another way. He's dealing with the problem of prejudice. Why is this so important? We've already established it. Everybody we see, everybody we know, everybody that's been born is born in the image of God. And so James felt the need to illustrate this. So I don't know if he's telling a real actual story or if he's just speaking hypothetically. But he jumps in what we call hip deep. He doesn't mess around. He says, a man walks into church, in fact, two men, and they're confronted by the usher. (laughs) It's just like Gandhi, a conflict with the usher. That's why you on the first impression team are so important here at Mission Hill. He comes in contact with the usher and the one that is dressed nicely. I mean, he is dressed to the T. He looks good. He's wearing shine shoes, pressed clothes, a Rolex watch. Everything looks great about him. He's ushered to the best seat in the house. Now, I've visited some of the old synagogues, like what James would have been referring to. These are not big rooms like what we've become accustomed to worship in. They're very small rooms, actually. And so it made quite a procession when the rich man was moved to the front. But the poor person, perhaps homeless, off the street, maybe he had a stench. His clothes were not pressed, probably holy and not meaning they were godly. He was pushed aside, not even really to the place where the women would go. But he was pushed aside. And James asked, do you see the problem with this? Do you see the danger, the damage that could be caused by treating someone differently? People in church, people who are all created in the image of God, people who are coming for the purpose of worship. And yet they're treated differently because of 
how they looked. And, and that's what he's defining. That's partiality. It's some of your translations call it favoritism or, or prejudice. It's what racism is, classism is, culturalism is. And it's wrong. Partiality occurs when we make internal value judgments against other people based on their external differences. So it may be their appearance. It may be their age. It, it may be their achievements, their ancestry, or it could even be their affluence. Jesus in Matthew 23 condemns partiality. Peter in Acts chapter 10 verse 34, he says partiality is not God, not of God. Paul confirms that in Romans. And here in James chapter 2, the half-brother of Jesus reminds us that this kind of partiality, favoritism, prejudice is sin. He's saying it's not righteous. It's not of God. How do we know that? That's not the way God looks at us. 1 Samuel 16 verse 7. You remember the context. God was choosing his king. And he said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or on his height of his statue because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man sees on the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. It's not righteous when we look at each other based on our skin color or or based on the clothing we wear or based on the accomplishments we've achieved because that's not the way God sees us. And it's also not reasonable. It doesn't make sense because to do that would cause us to think that we've got it figured out and that the mind of God is the same as our mind when in fact scripture says it's not. James teaches us that God chooses those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith. Think about that. How do you get rich in faith? Well, according to scripture, it's the poor of the world. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus repeatedly talked about those who are poor in spirit. We recognize that while there's nothing wrong with being rich, there's nothing wrong with wealth, there's also obviously nothing wrong with not having those riches, with not having that wealth. It's just not right. And I need you to understand, just in case you've been living under a a rock or or you've been hiding out because of coronavirus, COVID-19, you need to understand this is a real and pertinent problem in our society today. There are people, even Christian people, who look at other people, people created in the image of God, and they look at them differently because of outward appearance. There's a lot of ways this occurs, and I want you to understand that. But most recently, this has been in the news because of some apparent acts of racism. Because of the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and others. And it's caused some of us who may have grown up in this and we don't look at ourselves as having a racist mentality to really investigate why is there such pain? Why is there such sorrow? And I want to help you with some of that because some of you, you're like me. Your, your skin color is more in common with mine. And, and maybe this idea of systemic or systematic racism is hard for you to get your head around. I, 
I was recently with my friend Willie Rice, the pastor of Calvary in Clearwater, and I thought he summed this up so well. So I just want to read his summary. In 1619, the first slaves were brought into the English colonies in North America. Slavery would be legal until 1863. And the Emancipation Proclamation and the 13th Amendment, which was finally ratified in December of 1865. So from 1619 to 1865, there was legalized slavery in America. That's 246 years. That's more years in time than from 220 to 1776. 244 years. However, for another hundred years after the war, racism was codified into segregation. Black people were treated as lesser citizens and were systematically denied many civil rights as well as numerous societal opportunities. It was structured and systematized into the laws of our land. For at least 344 years, racism was reflected in the laws and the culture of our country, even through civil rights legislation. In the 1960s, it did not necessarily change our hearts. We can celebrate much progress that's been made, but those of us who think it's something in the distant past and has no bearing upon today need to think again. We are less than 60 years removed from segregation and trying to overcome a stain that lasted over 340 years. So here are some facts about realities for black Americans. The average black family in America has 60% of the income of the average white family, only 10% of the household wealth. Generational structural processes that have affected racism cause this disparity. For example, the number one source of intergenerational wealth in America is home ownership. Yet in the 1930s, the federal housing system instituted a coding practice known as redlining, where they would only issue housing loans in certain areas Red line were identified to the areas where blacks were allowed to live. After World War II, most of the suburban homes were open only to whites. The 1950s, for example, 40% of new housing in Minneapolis was illegal for blacks to buy. 1950s, realtor codes of ethics forbade selling houses in white neighborhoods to African Americans. If you helped a black family find a home in a white neighborhood, you could lose your real estate license. The Federal Housing Association, in effect, funded suburban housing developments for whites only. And then there's the GI Bill, which subsidized mortgages for returning veterans, but it left one million black veterans out. In New York and New Jersey, of the 67,000 mortgages that were granted, less than 100 were for blacks. As late as 1970, only 20% of black fathers had access to a car which was important because more and more of the jobs were leaving the cities for the suburbs. Add to this an aggressive war on crime, a drug epidemic, government welfare policies that sought to correct social inequities but often undermined the family structure, serving to make it worse, the sexual revolution that decoupled sex from family commitments and responsibilities for child-rearing, and you have a toxic soup that disproportionately impacted poor communities, specifically black communities. You say, Pastor, why would you go into that detail? Why would you explain that? It's because I want you to understand that prejudice 
is a big problem. And we ignore it at our own peril. If we don't take time to look within ourselves and say, oh God, show me those areas where I'm not looking at your created beings in the way that you created them to be looked at. If we're not willing to do that, it's we who are in danger. And that's what James is saying. Look at verse 9. If you show partiality, you're committing sin. You're convicting by the law as transgressors. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for it all. Did you hear that? The Bible, the Bible calls racism sin, partiality sin, favoritism sin, classism sin. It's not a preacher. It's not a social justice warrior. It's God's word that says it is sinful to look at people differently because of their outward appearance. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.